0: We are glad that you are listening to this audio recording produced by All Things New Church of Birmingham, Alabama. For more information regarding the ministries of All Things New Church, please visit us online at www.allthingsnew.us. Divorce is painful. And when there are children involved and one parent gets custody and the other gets visitation rights... It breaks the heart of the parents, and the children are at such a disadvantage. The passages of Scripture that we've listened to tonight, that we've heard read, these three passages, in a very significant way, I believe they confront us with the tragedy of our own divorce. Now, let me show you what I mean. Turn, if you have a Bible near you, to Luke chapter 6, this passage that Emily just read to us. This is verses 17 through 19. Jesus came down from a mountain with his closest followers and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Now get this next little phrase. Who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Hear healed. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him. For power came out from him and healed them all. Now right there in verse 18, this great crowd of people came for two reasons. To hear Jesus, that's Jesus' ministry of teaching, and to be healed of their diseases. That's his ministry of miracles. Now turn to the left, just a couple of pages, and look at Luke chapter 4. Verse 31, and he, that's Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at this, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And then if we were to keep reading in verse 35, Jesus cast out the demon. Now, what I want you to see is... Once again, just like in chapter 6, there's the very close relationship of Jesus' teaching ministry and Jesus' powerful kind of miracle ministry. So in verse 31, we see that he's teaching. In verse 35, he casts out the demon. In verse 38 through 41, if we were to keep reading, we see that he's healing again. He's casting out other demons. And then you get down to verse 42 to 44, and it's very clear He's preaching and teaching again. Now, if you were to read verses 31 through 44 as one whole literary unit, which is how you should read this, then it's a sandwich. At the beginning of it, you have Jesus' teaching ministry, and at the end of it, you have, once again, his teaching ministry, and right in the middle of it, you have these three kind of powerful acts of the Holy Spirit that Jesus does, right? He casts out demons, he casts out demons again, and he heals. And so we see that his teaching ministry is kind of like the bread of a sandwich, and this powerful healing ministry, is it's the meat, it, it's, it's the middle of this sandwich. But what I'm trying to point out for you is that for Luke, and we could really go all through Luke's gospel and see that these things are inseparable for Luke. Teaching or the word and power, scripture and spirit, they go together. They're married. They constitute an inseparable whole. One more example. Look at chapter 5, verse 17. On one of those days, he was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every Village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal Now look one time I took a Bible, not not this Bible, but a couple of years ago, another Bible I had and I started in Luke four where Jesus preaches his inaugural sermon it 's when he stands up in Nazareth and he quotes from Isaiah and says, "The spirit of God is on me to proclaim and to set free and right in his inaugural sermon, he points to these two actions of teaching, preaching, and actually doing something, a powerful miracle ministry. You, if you take your Bible and you start there in Luke 4, from there on out, you will never encounter the verb teach without within a couple of verses encountering a miracle. And you will never encounter a miracle without a couple of verses later encountering the, the ministry of teaching. In other words, for Luke, he could not... Tell the story of Jesus without keeping the teaching ministry of Jesus in an absolute, inseparable relationship to the powerful, miracle ministry of Jesus. I mean, you, you can't even physically tear the, the actions apart in Luke's gospel. Word and power, scripture and spirit, teaching and healing in the life and ministry of Jesus. They're absolutely inseparable. They're married. One another. And it's not just Jesus. Turn to the passage that Matt read to us, Romans chapter 15, a few pages to the right. In Romans chapter 15, verses 18 through 19, we have Paul describing his ministry. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And then what does he say? By word and deed by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. How is the gospel of Christ fulfilled? By doing exactly what Christ did, by holding the things in tandem that Christ held in tandem. Word and deed, Scripture and Spirit, power of God and Bible, we would call that. Now, this marriage, it it continues throughout the New Testament. I mean, when the earliest followers of Christ, when they explode on the scene, they just continue doing what Jesus was doing. They talk about the kingdom and they demonstrate the kingdom. They go together. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, a few pages to the right again. 2 Corinthians 12. This is Paul. Again, he's writing a letter, but here he's not writing to the Christians in Rome. Now he's writing to the Christians in a, in a, a total, a different place altogether, the Christians in Corinth. And listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. He says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Now, just... One or two pages to the right, Galatians, another letter that Paul wrote this time, not to Christians in Rome, not to Christians in Corinth, but this time to Christians in the region of Galatia. And notice chapter three, verse five. Paul is chastising them for something goofy they've kind of gotten themselves into, and he asks them this rhetorical question. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you work miracles among you? Do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, look, Paul is not trying to prove miracles. He's using the normal occurrence of miracles to establish another point he's making. Do you see that? He's saying, hey, these things that happen when you get together and you worship God, these miracles. Hearing, did you notice that what he said? I mean he puts them right together. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Do you see? Brought together is this verbal teaching, proclamation ministry right next to this powerful miracle ministry. Word indeed, married, inseparable. And the simple fact is, I mean, we could go on for the rest of tonight looking at passages just like this throughout the New Testament. But here's the kind of bottom line. The charismatic dimension of life was the normal life for a New Testament Christian. It was just normal. Part of their life. For them, the Holy Spirit of God was frequently experienced. In powerful and visible ways. The New Testament doesn't argue for this. It mentions it incidentally left and right, here and there, all along the way. In fact, I think it's safe to say that no one in the New Testament church would have understood the silent divorce that we have experienced between the word of God and the supernatural power of God. It it wouldn't have made any sense to New Testament Christians. Earlier when I said divorce is painful, and when children are involved and one parent gets custody and another parent gets visitation right, and the parents' hearts are broken and the children are at a huge disadvantage, I was talking about us. I was talking about the church. In most modern Western countries, Many churches, in the words of one pastor, are content to live with a single parent. They live with the word and the spirit has visitation rights. Comes over first and third weekends. Just gets to see and touch the kids once in a while. And some of his kids don't even recognize him anymore. Some have become afraid of him. Others in the church live with the spirit and they only allow the word sporadic visits. visits. In fact, it seems that the church has become a divided family growing up with separate parents in the West. One set of kids are proud of their education and another set of kids are proud of their freedom and both think that they're better than the other, it seems like. And all the while, the parents are brokenhearted. But look on the back inside cover of your worship guide. There's a section at the bottom, our beliefs, Tonight is the last sermon in a series of sermons that we've been walking through the basic, core, defining beliefs of our church. And tonight I'm walking through that very bottom one, this fundamental commitment of our church that the supernatural power of God, it's a normal part of a normal Christian life. And life without frequent and regular manifestations of God's supernatural power is not normal Christian living. And some kids do not know that what they're growing up in is not normal. Now, these are strong statements. I I know that they are. But, like the message from three weeks ago, where we talked about the authority of Scripture, we live under this story. And this is what it's holding out for us as the normal life in God's kingdom. It's holding these two things together. The word of God and the power of God. Turn turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This final passage of scripture we heard read earlier in our service. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's start in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. One of my favorite New Testament scholars is a man by the name of Gordon Fee. He's written a 900 page book where he studies every passage in Paul's letters that deal with the Holy Spirit. And he titled the book God's Empowering Presence, the Holy Spirit, and the Ministry of Paul. Now, this is what we see right here. The Spirit of God is the empowering. It's the same thing we saw in the life and ministry of Jesus. The empowering presence. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Notice, not the kind of, um, I don't know, ooey-gooey sense of the Spirit, but the manifestation of the, the A spiritual gift, Paul calls, a manifestation of the Spirit for Now, in this passage, what we're seeing is that the primary mechanism that God uses to manifest himself by manifest, I mean to make an invisible God visible, to manifest himself, according to Paul here, are spiritual gifts. That's God's primary mechanism of manifesting himself through Alan to me, to this church. Spiritual gifts like wisdom and knowledge and faith, we're okay so far, and healing, it's getting a little weirder now, and miracles, and prophecy, and discernment, and tongues, and interpretation of tongues, and now Paul's gone off the range, right? But he says all along, same spirit, same spirit, right? This is the same spirit. He gives these gifts to the members of the church as the means by which God manifests himself in power. Now, the very fact that Paul can list all of these gifts in such a matter-of-the-fact way indicates that worship for the early church was far more charismatic than it is for us. I mean, that's just the kind of underlying subtext going on here. And And this is hard for us. I mean, we are children of the Enlightenment. We've been indoctrinated with a scientific worldview. There's always a reasonable, natural explanation. There's cause and effect. And people who believe in demons and witchcraft and all that kind of stuff, they're pre-modern or they're pre-scientific. And we tend to get embarrassed about kind of emotional displays that are associated, right, with the... I don't know of a single Pentecostal church. In Mountain Brook. Now, in the blue-collar community I came from, there were as many Pentecostal churches. There were more of them than there were Episcopalian churches. Clearly, you can stretch out on a socioeconomic spectrum what kind of church appeals to who. And I think clearly in this community, things associated with what I'm talking about are embarrassing. We don't want people who we respect, whose friendship we cherish to think that we're weird, that we're strange. We don't want to lose status in our community. We don't want to be labeled or linked with those uneducated, you know, kind of emotionally excessive parts of contemporary Christianity. So this part of the Bible, I think is hard for us. Let me make a couple of disclaimers, though, Okay. I am not saying that the power of God is found only in supernatural kind of experiences. In fact, if we had had time, just five verses prior to the passage we read in Romans, Paul clearly says that the Holy Spirit is no less responsible for joy and peace and hope than he is for signs and wonders. OK, so I'm not trying to say the only way we see the power of God is in this kind of manifestation. It of also happens in these deep kind of inner transformations too. I'm also not advocating a sensationalistic approach to Christianity. I am not saying that the gift of healing, for example, is more essential or more spiritual than the gift of teaching or leadership or mercy or whatever. But let's be honest. Our church and this community is woefully short Not of leadership. One of the problems with churches in this community is we've got an overabundance right of leaders. We're not short of that. We are woefully short, though, of Christ honoring power of the supernatural activity of the Holy Spirit. And knowing that it's available and understanding how it functions, it is essential for us to bring the whole gospel to fulfill the gospel of Christ In this community, it's essential that we have both. Now, one third disclaimer, I am not advocating triumphalism. Now, what I mean by triumphalism, triumphalism in the church is when you start to think that if you have enough faith, then you'll succeed. No harm will come your way and you'll get the car you're praying for. I don't know what whatever it is that your life will be the best life ever. This is Matt Cummings. He and I are friends from a long time ago. Matt and uh, I grew up in the same church. I remember when our church began to, Baptist church, I mean, straight down the road, straight lace, you know, good Baptist, Um, our Trinity, God, the father, God, the son, God, the holy scriptures, you know, that, that other one we weren't sure about. I remember when um, we began to pray for the sick and actually believe that God might heal them. And uh, we started seeing people healed in our church. And around that time, Matt's mom got hepatitis C and cancer, I mean, back to back. And God miraculously healed her both. And my brother's wife, Julie, her mom got cancer at the same time. We well, laid hands on her and she died. See, I think there's a mystery to Scripture. I'm, I'm not trying to advocate this triumphalism, right? Where all you got to do is believe and you will receive. I, I'm not holding that up. I think scripture is clear that that the joy of the spirit exists in the midst of suffering and all manner of weakness. And and only with the end perspective will we ever know how that all works out. With that being said, let me tell you a story. Uh, this home church that I grew up in with Matt and Janelle, Allison was there, too. Yeah, my dad was the pastor. My dad, I'm a third-generation pastor. My grandfather's a Baptist pastor. My dad, my brother, my uncle, my brother-in-law. I mean, okay, it's the family business. And uh, the best thing about Baptists is they believe the Bible, right? If the Bible says it, give it to me. Well, my dad, that passage in James, we're going to look at it in a bit, where it says, if anybody's sick, let him call on the elders of the church, let him anoint him with oil, and it says he'll be healed. So my dad began to secretly pray. He prayed, Lord, if this is actually really supposed to be in the Bible, um, and it's true, uh, then I pray that you'd give me the gift of healing. And he prayed for three years in secret and didn't tell anybody. And, and he said, Lord, I will know that you want our church to begin to do this if somebody comes and asks me unsolicited to anoint them with oil, like the passage says, lay hands on them, blah, blah, blah. So after three years of praying this, there's a man in the church named Robert Poy. He was a brand-new Christian, so he hadn't yet been taught to ignore certain parts of Scripture. You know, like, you know, that's what mature people know, right? That's, that's We call that discipleship, learning what bits to ignore. He hadn't yet been discipled. And uh, <laughs> and so he actually read that, and he had a very serious disease. And he read that, and he went to Dad one day, and he said, Hey, I'm sick. i got a disease Will you anoint me with oil and pray for me so I can be healed, <laughs> right? This is the kind of thing Baptist pastors aren't normally asked. And dad, but dad thought game on. This is what I've been praying for three years. So the next Sunday, he said, come back next Sunday. You know, the next Sunday at the end of the service, I'm sitting there. I was the youth pastor and dad gets up at the end of the service. He's got a little bottle of Crisco or something oil and he calls Robert up there and he reads this passage out of James. We'll read it in a bit. And he says, now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put some of this on his head and I'm going to ask God to heal him. And don't worry if you feel very awkward and unsure right now, I'm much more awkward than you are. None of us know what we're doing and we're going to ask God to heal him. So he laid hands, him with oil and guess what? The dude was healed miraculously. The disease gone went to the doctor, you know, all that kind of stuff. So guess what that church started doing from there on out? And we've seen lots and lots of people at that church healed. God has not changed. Not at all. And if you've ever gone on the mission field, you know this, right? Right. Our church has had some miraculous things in It About a month ago, we were like one day away from not being able to make payroll. I emailed the, um, the, the church. And I said, pray that, that the Lord sends money for us to make payroll, which for me was a significant prayer request. Right. And uh, the next day I woke up and there was an email from somebody in Texas that and they sent a check for ten thousand dollars. So I emailed the church back out. I mean, a lot of you got this email and said, thanks. Wow, you really prayed. And this has happened again a, a couple of weeks ago, again, on the financial front. We pray one night and the next day there there's, there's a check there. I remember when Janelle and I were in, in, uh, in seminary, I was a student and somebody, a church asked me to be their pastor. And I had to ask the Lord, Lord, I want to be a full-time seminary student. And I and and I'll, you know, pastor also on the side or whatever, but I don't want to have like three or four jobs. And so this church had asked me to be the pastor and Janelle and I sit at our, our dining room table And we pray, Lord, this church wants us to pastor and all, but what they're offering us is $100 a month less than our, you know, subsistence budget. If you want me to be the pastor there, you need to provide another $100. We get up from praying. I walk out to the mailbox, and there's a letter from a man I'd never met. And he said, you've never met me. I've never met you. But God told me to send you $100 a month until you graduate from college, or I die, whichever comes first. And... We said, oh, OK, God, I'm supposed to pass to that church. I can't tell you how many times Janelle and I have experienced these kind of things in our church. Robert one day walks into the office and he said, we need a sound system. What, what's going on is just not cutting it. Let's pray for a sound system. And so we're praying for the money to buy a sound system. Within a day or two, a friend contacts him and says, hey, can I give you a sound system? And this is what we're using tonight. I think we've just touched the hem of the garment. We need a church that's going to hold these two together in this community. Now, it is possible for the power of God to be manifest in our church. And it's my deep desire and the deep desire of many people in this room that we will not be happy or content unless the supernatural power of God is the norm for you and your family and for this church. Let me finish with two kind of practical suggestions, okay? How can we move forward in the power of God? First of all, look with me at James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The, power, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man and for three years and six months it did not rain. And he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore fruit. Very practical suggestion. Beginning this week, we're going to apply this passage in our worship services. Now, tonight, when the service is over, Robert and I are going to be up here. And here's where I've kind of messed it up. My little vial of oil is sitting on my desk at home. Um, I forgot to bring it, but that'll be okay. But what we're going to do is tonight, after the service, Robert and I will be up here. If you are suffering in any way, financially, spiritually, physically, Come, forward, come When the service is over and people are going to the um, parlor for snacks and everybody's standing around visiting, Robert and I will lay hands on you and pray for you. We'll just do what this verse says. Um, if you're sick and at home, uh, call me or Robert and we'll come and lay hands on you and pray for you. Now, we've always been open to this, but what I'm doing now is going on record encouraging you and saying this is we believe the word and power belong together. And that when God's gospel is faithfully preached, he frequently manifests himself through healing. It's the testimony of the gospels. It's a testimony of history. It's the testimony of churches across cultures. I encourage you to begin to do the same thing. This isn't something that just like superstars can do. You know, Robert, the superstar. The next time you're with a group of friends, stop and just ask. Is anybody suffering physically, chronic pain? And if anybody says yes, take your hands out of your pocket, lay your hand on them, and ask God to heal them. Put your faith on the line. And you know what? Sometimes you're going to mess up and you're you're just going to fall all over your face. And you know know what? You cannot ruin God's kingdom. You can't. I mean, he's not up there going, holy cow ask me to do that. I can't, I can't. It's going to ruin everything. He's not intimidated. Take your hands out of your pocket. That's my challenge to you. Take aspirin when you get a headache and then ask your husband or wife to lay hands on you, pray. And it's, you know, between one of the two, see what God can do. One, one other way that we're going to move forward in, the, in this kind of charismatic practice is when we pray, we're going to listen for the voice of God. Now, we're going to do this in our small groups primarily. We've already, we already do this in our small groups. We've done it several times. We're going to continue to get better at it. When we pray together, you know how most white folk pray? Your prayer is telling God something, right? <laughs> but just what if prayer is like a telephone conversation? What if Cora called me one day and said, hey, Aubrey, guess what? Blah blah blah, blah. And as soon as I get ready to talk back, she hung up. I think that's what a lot of us do when we pray. We call God up. We talk to him. And instead of listening for if he might want to say something back, we sign off. Right. The the ubiquitous sign off of a prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And then we get up and go about our way. Right. We hang the phone up. So one of the things we've been doing in our small group, and I encourage you to do is when you pray, pause afterwards and just listen. Do you is scripture going through your mind? That's probably not Satan. It might be, but you'll figure that out. Now, Now, I. I know that there are a lot of loose ends to what I'm saying, and that's okay. For the last several months, as we've been working our way through our purpose and our task and our, our beliefs, Robert said the other day that we've been flying at a 30,000-foot level, you know, just kind of marking out the territory, giving the big picture. And, and, and that's what I've done tonight. There's a lot of work left to do. You're welcome to come and ask Robert any question you have about this sermon, Okay. Uh, tonight we hang around after the service. Talk, talk to me. You know, accuse me or provoke me or ask me. I don't know. And uh, or call me or or Cora or Robert, any of the ministers, or or email. We'll have coffee. We'll have we'll have lunch. We talk about all the messages in our small groups. We work them out. You know. But this much is clear, and I'll finish with this: our church, all things new, and and your family and you as an individual must pursue. The supernatural power of God, because it is necessary for normal Christian living. Anything less is abnormal Christian living. Let's pray.